Shut up and sit down. People are coming together more and more and more and more as the government has been failing us more and more. I'm against being shitty to people. You can't research your way into understanding somebody. One way or another, I'd rather have the fight now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fight for Liberty Live. Uh, today's guest I'm super excited about. Hopefully, the technical difficulty gods will stop uh dealing us harshly and this will go smoothly um first i'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about nug of knowledge it is the best place to get your premium cbd cbg and delta 8 cbd products uh you can get them all online shipped to you in all 50 states it helps the liberty movement it helps other awesome libertarians like myself and other people on free speech media uh and yeah and it gets you high so can't really complain about that uh, so go on over to nugofknowledge.com, use promo code F4L to get 10% off your first order, and uh, yeah, let them know that you came from here, and we'd appreciate it. Also, I've been saying this on most of the shows lately, go to tomfor52.com to hear about the most exciting race in the Libertarian Party coming up next year. Uh, Tom Queter is running for New York State Senate in State Senate District 52, and he's doing awesome things out there. So go check him out. Donate. Uh, there's actually a donate link in the description to this video. If you want to pitch into that campaign, please do so. Um, but without further ado, uh, we have a really awesome guest today. He is in a committed relationship with my best friend, Reed Coverdale, is the host of the Liberty Lockdown. Clint Russell, welcome to the show. Uh, speaking of, my husband has returned to us. He has an alt on Twitter at long last. Oh, oh does he now? He is he arisen. <laughs> we were just talking. I was just talking to him last night, and he was telling me that he probably wasn't going to do that. I was surprised. He he had been very. But I had a feeling he, he was very adamant he wasn't coming back, and then I guess tonight he just decided to. So I don't know if he's going to be using it much, but at least he's got one. Probably not. Um, yeah, so you host uh, a pretty awesome podcast. It's one of the the newer ones in relation to podcasting in general, but still uh, now it's been going for over a year now, right? Yeah, uh, a little over a year and a half. Done 126 episodes already, and it has grown exponentially. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, I got to have on Dave Rubin and Zuby and. Uh, Jessica Vaughn and a bunch of big people over the past couple of weeks. And Adam, Adam Curry, who was one of my icons, obviously Dave Smith has been on a few times, mm -hmm. who's, who was a major inspiration for me starting the show in the first place. And now I just got to get Joe Rogan to round out the, uh, everyone that inspired me to actually start this thing. I watched your episode with, uh, with Curry. I'm a big fan of his as well. Me so too. I was excited to see that, that one. Um, I watched him on Rogan a while back and I was like, this guy is, this guy got it like a long time ago and you, I really enjoyed that conversation. That was a great episode. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so what inspired you? The pod father. Oh, sorry. Right. Um, so other than those three names that you mentioned, Dave Smith, Adam Curry, Joe Rogan, uh, what inspired you to start a podcast? 
Well, I mean, those three are the ones that I was biggest fans of when it co- when it came to podcasts. Um, no Agenda, which is Adam Curry's production, Part of the Problem, which is Dave Smith's production, and then obviously the Joe Rogan Experience. Um, those are like the three podcasts I've probably listened to for the longest time. So I definitely have flavors of all three that kind of pour into my show. Um, I basically am like, like, like I say in, in my Twitter tagline, it's like, Ron Paul meets Joe Rogan. Like that's what I'm going for with, uh, with the conversational style. I, I try and just have a natural conversation, but because I'm so obsessed with libertarianism and politics, it seems to, you know, kind of ebb and flow naturally with kind of a Ron Paul flavor to the conversation. So it's not for everybody, but it, uh, it seems to be, it has an, at least enough appeal to continue to grow. So that's all I care about. And it grew quite fast. You know, you're already over, uh, almost four and a half thousand subscribers on YouTube. Your listens on the audio platforms are way past that. Uh, you, you came up really fast, and I think a lot of people took notice quickly. Yeah, I got I got very fortunate, man. I mean, I I don't really understand why it happened. Um, <laughs> a lot of fortunate, a lot of fortunate things that just kind of happened by chance. Um, I debated this neocon kid named Kevin Castley, and I ripped him a new one in uh, this two minute clip and in this clip i i put it online and dave smith comments and he's like yo i'd like to watch this whole thing and i was like whoa my icon who didn't even follow me at the time says he wants to watch this i sent him the link and i don't even think he's gonna watch it because it's a two-hour debate of like two <laughs> nobodies that are going at each other's throats um and then the next week Pete Quinones is, is on his show and pete had just been on my show and he didn't really know me before that either so Pete starts talking to him about me because of my real estate background and my understanding of like the potential of a real estate collapse based off of what I see coming via lockdowns, which obviously has been delayed because of trillions in in stimulus that I didn't expect at the time. But regardless, um, Pete brings me up. Dave says, oh, I just watched his debate with that idiot neocon. And and they're like, I love Mm -hmm. this guy. I love this guy. And I'm like, oh, my God, two two of my, uh, you know, my inspirations are, are bringing me up on the biggest platform in libertarianism, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know if it is or not. Um, so that was just, that really launched me, but I was already doing better than I would have expected prior to that. And I think it was just a matter of like fortunate timing and, and really doing it for the right reason. You know, I really, I went into this thing because I was very passionate and I was very, very upset about the lockdowns. You name your show Liberty Lockdown. My entire Twitter feed is me ranting about the lockdowns. Anybody that follows mm-hmm. me on Twitter obviously likes what I'm saying about that. So some of them check out the podcast, they tell their friend, and then it just grows organically from there. So did you uh, start out with a more audio or video focus, or did you shoot for both at the same time? No, no, no. My my first 50 episodes were audio only. I, I'm I'm a boomer, man. I don't that, that that's why I had so many uh, that's why I have so many more downloads audio wise than I do um, video. Like you'll see on my my channel, I only get you know about a thousand views per episode uh but my audio downloads are are you know anywhere from five to ten times that so people really like the audio uh format and that's how it's grown uh but i just created the video format because i know some of the younger people will only watch podcasts on youtube and things like that so i I try to go both ways now it's funny that you say you're a boomer because i usually use that excuse for why i haven't put all of my uh, episodes onto the audio platforms <laughs> right? Uh, cause well, for me, it was just like, I'm, I'm one of those younger people. Like I, I think I've listened to 
maybe a dozen podcasts total like that were audio only like i even <laughs> i will watch uh uh lions of liberty on youtube like just right. the it's just their logo and then the audio behind it i still watch <laughs> it on youtube because that's just where i watch my podcast yeah i see i'm the exact opposite i i listen to podcasts for you know 10 12 years straight and all i was ever doing was uh just listening audio only because that was really the only uh methodology like rogan was audio only forever and and that's he was the one that got me into listening to podcasts in the first place every every podcast i listened to was audio only and i was like why would anyone watch people talking to a microphone like you could do stuff with your hands like every time i listened to a podcast i was driving or i was at the gym i was like there's no point to have a video format but then i realized oh no some people do like to see the you know facial you know the emotions and the reactions and the hand movements and things like that mm -hmm. yeah i i love it i don't know why also i don't I don't drive a lot and I don't have a job where I can multitask in that way. So I don't listen in the background the way that most people do. Uh, so it's usually my like my main form of entertainment or whatever. Like I'll have the podcast on my laptop sitting at my desk and then I'll like be on my phone doing mm -hmm. whatever, like texting people, like coordinating whatever work I'm doing. Like that's how I multitask. It's easier to do it that way. Um, but yeah, it's I think that's why I was really late to the podcast game. Like as a as a viewer, it wasn't until after Joe Rogan already had quite a few episodes on YouTube before I ever like actually watched a full episode. It was probably 2018, 2019 when yeah, I watched I my first podcast. I started listening to Rogan in 2010. So I am OG of the OG. Like <laughs> I started on I think it was episode 40 something. And and when I found it, I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest medium for conversation I have ever seen in my life. It's just these high idiots talking to each other and saying inappropriate <laughs> shit. This is this is absolutely made for me. Mm -hmm. I, I went back and in like the next week, I listened to the first 45 episodes that I had missed and I caught up and I swear to God, I've listened to, you know, now I, I skip probably two-thirds of all of his episodes because there's there's so much good podcast content out there that i can't listen to them all mm -hmm. um, but for the first probably four or five hundred episodes of joe rogan experience i listened to every single one i mean i was i was obsessed and and i think that that you know my love of it kind of carries through into my show like i i really love this medium i i love just a voice and a microphone and getting to spill your soul and your heart and uh and your emotion and your humor and everything you know i just i just think it's such a beautiful thing and it's one of the rare platforms that mm -hmm. still maintains a semblance of uh, lack of censorship and truth and honesty and i think that that's what we lack a lot of so um that's that's why i enjoy doing what i do so much yeah i find it really funny i have a bunch of guests that like mid conversation will be like can i swear on this I'm like duh i've cursed like 12 times so far like come on bro uh, so to, well, you know, to your you know point of, cuss, uh, of so. go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't trust people that don't cuss. Let me just put that out there. If you're not willing to curse in front of me, like I know that you're hiding something from me and you're not your true self in front of me. So I don't trust you because <laughs> everyone exactly. curses. So if I'm not, if you're not willing to curse in front of me, what else aren't you willing to say in front of me? <laughs> Probably a lot. Right. Uh, but so to your point about the uh, the censorship stuff, uh, something that 
has definitely been a main part of uh, your persona online. And one of the things that I really respect about you and your show is you've definitely not been afraid to have very controversial guests or very controversial conversations uh, on your show, uh, especially like, you know, you having Thaddeus Russell on, you had that that episode uh, with those guys that uh, were pretty going after Dave pretty hard. You've had, you've had quite a few shows where you've definitely platformed some people that I'm sure pissed off a lot of your friends. Uh, can you go through like a little bit of the psychology behind that? Have you ever been worried about backlash? Are there any of those guests you kind of regret now? <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't regret it. I, I do understand the critiques that I've received for it. Um, I don't agree with the critiques personally. I think that I am, first off, I don't buy this concept of platforming. Like I think that if someone's ideas have merit and you listen to it and you're persuaded by their ideas, then then you should be listening to them. And if I have someone on who you aren't persuaded by or you just think it's a total waste of your time, then that's a fair critique. Like, I'm totally fine with that critique. But I don't think that, you know, people were really upset with me for having Josie on, the redheaded libertarian, you know, mm -hmm. saying that she's a neocon and she's this and that. And I was like, well, I've only had positive interactions with her. And people also have to remember, I'm new to Twitter. Like, I, I wasn't a lifer like some of these people. So they all had, like, bad blood and and vendettas and all this shit. And I don't have any of that. So I was like, right. I was like, I think she's nice. I'm going to have her on. I'm going to see what all this hubbub's about. And we had a great conversation and she and I have been friends ever since. Mm -hmm. um, that upset a lot of my other friends, which I didn't expect. And I didn't know. Um, a lot of people think that I'm like an intentional fire starter and it's much of it's out of ignorance, but uh, the, the latter half of it is simply out of brazen. I don't give a fuck. Like if you have, <laughs> if you have beef with um, someone online, just don't listen to the episode like it's the yeah. same it's the same concept that libertarians have when it comes to like banning people we just say hey you can mute this person or you can block this person why do you have to want them to not even be able to have a platform to, to speak it's just it's weak and uh mm -hmm. i i believe that i believe it to my core like that's why when i had on oh, i mean the i think the only episode that like i feel bad about even though i wouldn't have i wouldn't take it back personally was having on Matt Erickson and and at the time it was Vin Armani and now, now Cyprian and they just went you know ad hominem against Dave Smith really aggressively and I didn't expect it I the the premise of the episode was to have them on to debate the merits of the Mises Caucus I had no idea it was going to turn into you know Dave Smith's a predator and this and that uh, much of that is water under the bridge uh, Cyprian has made amends with Dave and, and I think that everything's, you know, moving on. And I think ultimately that that conversation was going to be had. So I think it's just silly when people argue about platforming. It's like, first mm -hmm. off, I, you know, I'm lucky if I do 10,000 views or downloads per episode, like, please lose me or miss me with this <laughs> platforming. I'm not fucking the Joe Rogan experience. I'm not even Dave Smith's show, which does like, you know, six figures. So I just think right. it's it's humorous to me. Yeah, I uh, I was definitely one of those people that when you had Josie on, I was like, oh, come on, bro. But I'm not I'm also new to Twitter, but she had me blocked. And that is why like that's why I was annoyed by it, because I was new to Twitter and I did nothing. Right. And it was just <laughs> I got caught up in one of those block sprees where uh, somebody tweeted something that I liked and she didn't like it was this whole thing. Um Really, it was just because I was friends with Elaine, the uh, the libertarian redhead, or whichever mm. way it goes, the opposite one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And well, my, my understanding is that yeah. she blockchained some people based off of some really egregious things that happened with, um, you know, threatening her kids or something like that. And maybe it was playful. Maybe it was trolling. I have no idea. And to be perfectly honest, I don't really care. She blocked you guys. Eh, whatever. You know, I'm yeah. blocked by a lot of people, too, and I don't know why. So, like, <laughs> who gives a fuck? <laughs> right. And she has a new account and hasn't reblocked me from the new one yet there anyway. So it's all all good. Water under yeah. the bridge for sure. It's all um, love over here. Yeah, I just need uh, I just need like I think Jose Gallison's the only person that's got me blocked that I actually am like, oh, that kind of I, I wish we could have been cool, but I get it. Like, it's fair. Yeah. You, he's, everyone he's has the homie, right to block he's a total me. psychopath. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows why he did it? <laughs> uh, well, he did it the same day Dave Smith did. But uh, Dave's oh, un yeah. unblocked me since then. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's uh, there's definitely there's so much bullshit that goes on in the liberty movement that it's so easy to get caught up in it, especially if you are in a position where you're you're talking to people as your main role in the movement. It's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to talk to interesting people. Sometimes those interesting people will turn around and attack the fuck out of you for no reason. That's uh, yeah. just kind of how it works. Uh, yeah. you know, there's definitely I, I, some people I've defended on this show that I regret defending as hard as i defended oh yeah i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's things i've said that i would probably change um you know certainly predictions and things like that if i knew then what i knew now i would have some some different opinions on things but honestly like i just think that people are way too absorbed with the the social media world i think there's two there's two factors one i'm older you know i'm almost 40 years old like I'm not, I'm not going to get caught up in the social media, like is my life thing, which a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. um, and then secondarily, I'm already, I've already, you know, had a career and I'm financially free. So like, I don't have any pressure of if my show implodes, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I don't yeah. give a fuck. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm just going to continue to do what I like to do, which is talk to interesting people about interesting topics. And, and if that ends up, you know, blowing up in my face then i'm totally fine with that like i i don't even really want to be doing this i i really enjoy it but like i don't i don't need it um mm -hmm. so it's i don't know i don't know how to explain it other than like i really really love doing what i'm doing but if people were to stop listening tomorrow i'd be like okay i'll go do something else yeah i think that that comes through in your show you can tell that you're doing it because you want to not because it's uh your your main income stream or something like, like I, I think that's something that comes through for joe rogan a lot too you know you can tell that he's just having fun doing his exactly. hobby and his passion and it's not it's not a job for him uh yeah. and i feel like if it were to become my job i'd probably quit you know like if i if I woke up every day and I was like, oh, I got to do an episode like that's why I don't know if you've noticed, but my shows don't have any consistency to them. I do mm -hmm. them when I feel like it, when I'm inspired, when I have a burning passion and like a message that I have to get out to the world, I'll do an episode. And when I don't, I don't. <laughs> so like sometimes I'll go an entire week and I won't record anything. Mm -hmm. I went an entire month during the summer because I was traveling the country and I didn't put out any episodes. And, you know, for a lot of people that where it's this is their career. They would be like, well, that's suicide. You can't do that. And I'm just like, well, I think that my audience will stick with me if they like what I'm doing. And I come back and I deliver with that newfound passion and a and a fresh look on life. Like they'll appreciate the content and they'll continue to share it with people and it'll continue to grow organically. And if it doesn't, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do you find your guests? How do how do you go through that decision process? 
Uh, a lot of the times it's just uh, listeners of mine tagging other interesting people that they think that I should talk to. And then I'll just respond and I'll say, hey, um, yeah, it sounds interesting. You know, shoot me a DM. My DMs are open. And and sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. You know, it's it, sometimes it's really, um, you know, high profile guests. And sometimes it's not. And it just depends. Like, I, I'm not really seeking a particular niche of people to do. I love it when listeners of mine are fans of another show and they say, Hey, I think you guys would be a great fit. Cause usually they're right. Cause they're listening to my mm -hmm. show and that show. Like that's a, that's a really organic way of saying like, yes, you guys see the world at least somewhat similarly. I think you'd have a great conversation. Um, so that happens oftentimes. And then the rest of the time, it's just, you know, occasionally I'll reach out to people that I'm a big fan of, you know, like, Eric July, I've been trying forever to get on my show and he's, he's emailed and said, yes, I'll do it. And then I can't get him to schedule. Um, Zuby has been a mutual follower of mine for a long time. So it was just a matter of time. I felt like before I would have him on and that happened last week. Um, Jessica Vaughn started following me two weeks ago. I waited a week and then I DM'd her and said, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Um, and oh God, I met, I met Dave Rubin at, uh, at freedom fest in South Dakota and mm -hmm. I emailed his agent because he's, you know, big time and went through that whole process of them ha having reviewed my my download figures to make sure it was worth his time and everything like that. So that was probably the hardest get I've had. Everyone else has basically not had a real booker, you know. Mm. Um, and then Dave obviously just became kind of a buddy of mine. So I can pretty much ask him to come on whenever I want, but I don't. I've only had him come on twice because <laughs> I feel like I don't want to burn that bridge or, or wear him out. <laughs> um and then, you know, Picanonas and all these other people, uh, Matt Kibbe, like I've, I've started to interact with so many people online as my following has grown. I've, I've just get a lot of people that, that started to follow me and it just kind of happens organically, man. I don't know. It's early on. It was a totally different thing. I was just blind shooting to like anyone with a decent size following that I thought would be an interesting conversation and being like, please, please, please. Um, but, but I remember those. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, do you, uh, for the guests that you don't know ahead of time, when it's just like someone tagging somebody else that you've never heard of, do you do a lot of research beforehand or do you just kind of, uh, you know, gloss over their Twitter account or yeah. a little bit of both? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do a very, very minimal amount of research. Like basically I come in with topics in mind that are, I'm passionate about and I, kind of hope that they will be and if they aren't and they they pivot or they give me um i don't know some little side trail off of the the path that i was leading them down i'll just run with that you know like jessica vaughn i didn't plan to talk about you know motherhood and whether or not we should have children in such a perilous time um but that ended up being a big chunk of our conversation and that was totally organic like uh, oftentimes my conversations I have a game plan, but they very rarely stick to script. It's just kind of like, I'm going to let it flow. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, I, I'm probably modeling myself after Rogan again, you know, like he does three hours. Like you're not going to script that whole thing. You're going to have to be able to ad lib. And, and I just, I think it's a more natural flowing conversation and people tend to, at least I enjoy it more. I don't know if people do, um, but because I do, that's what I'm going to do. So. Yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's you really have had a an impressive last couple of weeks. Uh, Jessica Vaughn is someone I actually I got her as a follower 
probably six months ago and I reached out and she said that she would be down to come on the show and we never scheduled a time. And that was in like May <laughs> and I still haven't fucking gotten that one down yet. I need to fix hey, that. It, it happens, man. I, I, that's the same <laughs> way with, uh, I'm trying to think of who it is. Oh God. Oh, Michael, not Michael Heiss, the other cat. Oh, I can't remember his name. Anyways, we're like, he he's not even that big of an account, but he he just he's kind of big time in me. He's like <laughs> he won't he won't uh, commit to a time, and I'm just like, damn man, what's up? You know, he, but I, <laughs> I, don't, I I don't know, I don't know what it is. So um, you know, just sometimes it's like that, and and sometimes people, I just kind of I just respect whatever people are going through, and it, mm -hmm. it'll like I just feel like it's gonna happen eventually. Like as long as my show continues on the trajectory it's on, I'm gonna talk to whoever I want to someday, and. I'm just going to continue, you know, I'll, I'll accept my place in this, in this ecosystem uh, and just be grateful for where I'm at and try and do as good a, a job as I can. And eventually those people will hopefully come around. All right. Uh, so what's the most uh, unexpected like challenge that you've had to, or like tasks that you've had to do that you weren't expecting to have to learn how to do? Oh, post-production. I like, I spent over an hour on every episode, um, you know, editing in my, my ad reads and editing in and, and cutting a promo to release on Twitter when the episode drops. Um, I'm not, I don't know how to do any of that shit. I'm using like this basic program that comes with windows. <laughs> so it takes a long time and it sucks. Um, so that's probably been the, like the, the part I didn't Can't expect because <laughs> my, my early recording days, it was audio only. I didn't have any sponsors, so I had no ad reads. So it was just like, it was like, I finished recording, I upload, it's done. Um, so there's, you know, when you want to put together a little bit more uh, professional of a production, it takes a little additional time. And I didn't expect that. Um, also, you know, I didn't really plan on going the sponsorship route, but it takes, it takes some effort and time to, you know, email people that want to sponsor the show and then uh, ask them for, you know, how many ads they want to run and get the, the script or at least some sort of guidelines and then kind of decide how I'm going to run with it. And these are all things that, you know, as someone who'd never expected to be a podcaster, it's just like, I'm learning, I'm learning this business, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I still don't feel like it's a business, I'm just trying to use the revenue to, to grow the show a little bit. Um, and then lastly, the thing that I most, most didn't expect is to have haters. I did not expect, cause I, I've just kind of gone through life without people really hating me very much. Um, so, so humble brag. No, I, well, no, I, no, sorry. I have had people hate me, but that, that was for like good reasons. You know, like I mm. really fucked up and I did something terrible. Fair I'm enough. Saying, I've never had, I've never gone through life with strangers just being like, fuck this guy. This guy sucks. And, and that's how I feel with like my Twitter world now. Like there's 10% of the people in libertarian Twitter who are just like, fuck that guy in his red hat, that piece of shit, Fred Durst looking motherfucker. I hate that motherfucker. I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, what? I don't like. Do we know each other? <laughs> yeah. So can definitely relate to the the editing struggle. Uh, fuck that shit. I hate video editing with a burning passion. Um, so if if you're watching the show and you like video editing, um, hit one of us up, please. please. Uh, yeah, the haters are a weird thing. I'm. I've been lucky to stay somewhat irrelevant enough to where most of the haters that i have online i've at least earned somewhat uh 
most of the time it's because I attacked someone that they hold very dearly, right? Like I've said something negative about like Lou Rockwell or or Vermin Supreme or Adam Kokesh or honestly, I've said a lot of negative things about a lot of people. I critique the people that I respect. And so a lot of the people that I also love are on my list of reasons people hate me for for (laughs) saying bad things about which is really funny. Like there's people that don't like me because I've said mean things about Spike Cohen. Meanwhile, I work on his comms team and it's like (laughs) I don't I don't know what more you want from me. Uh, you but yeah, just explain I, that that's a product of your autism that you credit you <laughs> criticize everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, luckily not too many like complete random strangers. But uh, how I have I have entire groups of people that do not know me, have never interacted with me, and hate my guts. It is wild. That was that was the one thing I did not expect. How do you how do you handle that shit? Like, uh, I mean the first. The first couple months of it, I was like, well, this sucks. You know, like it really, it just, it, it did bother me a little bit. Um, but then after a while, I just realized like, they don't actually know me. So why am I letting these, these strangers opinions of me really affect my mental health or my well being? I mean, not like it was fucking me up that bad, but mm-hmm. it was just, it was like, you would still like, you'd be questioning yourself. Like, am I doing something to upset people? And then, then I started to realize like, no, it's, it's, I mean, to a large extent, I'm sure there's some people just don't like my tact. They don't like the way I, um, I approach certain topics and like, that's fine. If you want to hate me because of my opinions, I'm, I'm good with that. But the people that just hated me for like who I am or how I look or whatever, I was like, damn, this is weird. And then I realized like, there's a lot of this, a lot of it comes with the fact that, you know, my show kind of quantum leaped and and a lot of people have been doing this for a long time and they some people were just upset about it and mm-hmm. that's okay you know i don't even hold it against them i just don't really understand it it's like it's not my fault you know it's not my fault that dave smith liked me and then he brought me on his show and it's not my fault that pekin yonas did and like all these people that that helped me out um you know i was just kind of like right place right time but i was also doing everything to put myself in those positions that, that gave me some luck. So I don't know. I, I just kind of, at this point, I just kind of, I keep a, a smaller circle of, you know, close online friends, I guess you would say, and shout out Tower Gang. And, <laughs> and that's, that's about it, man. I just kind of, I just keep the circle small. And, and if people want to hate, I, 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 oh, by the way, I had about a thousand people blocked because so many people were, were just piling on me. And about a month ago, I unblocked everybody except for the people that also had me blocked. So I unblocked 950 people manually. I had to do it. And, and I just, I figured like, okay, like the, the shit storm has kind of passed. Hopefully these people will see me again. They'll forget why they hated me and they'll stop, stop (laughs) dogpiling me. And that's what's happened, which is pretty remarkable. Like people seem to not be going after me as much. That's great. Uh, so you mentioned sponsorships a little bit ago. Uh, so I'm wondering how how did you go about getting sponsors? How do you uh, go through that like kind of conversation of you know how you were saying getting the talking points and the scripts and yeah for I, new podcasters out there who don't have sponsors yet? How did yeah I uh, basically it's it's kind of impossible when you're just starting out. So like I would say if you're really a new new podcaster forget it just focus on your craft get good as they would say and and get 
get good guests or just find some reason to become known and get enough listeners that you can actually be a marketable uh, product. Because if you don't have like 5,000 listeners per episode, you're not going to get someone to pay you a flat fee for an ad run for the most part. Um, so, you know, build yourself to that threshold and then you can reach out. What I did was once I broke 5,000 listeners uh, per episode on average, I just put out a, a tweet because I had like 15,000 Twitter followers at the time. And I said, Hey, I'm getting 5,000 listeners per episode. Market rate for that would be 150 bucks. I would rather uh, take on Liberty oriented products as my sponsor because I don't really need the money. How about 100 bucks? If you're interested, DM me. I got like five submissions I, I ran with, I think three of them. And then I cycled in the other two as time went on. And, and I've had um, one guy uh, stick with me for basically a year now. And he's been amazing. Uh, that's the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. I'll give them a shout out. And, and, you know, I, then I have a bunch of like really wealthy libertarians that have side businesses and things like that, that just like really appreciate my show. So they'll DM me and say, Hey, I'd love to support the show. I'd also love to run an ad. So it kind of happens organically now, but uh, if I ever get to a point where I have a lull in, in, um, ad buys, then I can just shoot out a tweet and say, Hey, 125, 150 bucks, um, per, per ad read. And, if you're interested, shoot me an email and that's it. I mean, that's, that's really all I do with it. I'm probably not doing it right. I'm probably not charging as much as I should. Um, but I feel like, you know, I've, I've done all of this kind of bootstrap mentality from the beginning and I'm just going to continue for now. I dig it. Uh, yeah, I scheduling and like, uh, getting sponsors on the show is one of the weirder more like legitimizing moments of having the show i was like wait somebody sure. wants me somebody wants me to promote their thing that's super <laughs> cool <laughs> I know. It, feel, it feels really good for sure and mm -hmm. and oh that that's one other thing too like um if you can't get someone to do a flat ad buy where they're actually paying you up front for the ad read you can do uh promos where you have you know like a, a promo code for your show so that that works too. If you want to, um, obviously if no one buys anything, you're not going to get paid anything for the most part. Sometimes they'll give you a small flat fee plus a commission on, on buys. So, um, mm -hmm. I'm probably, we're probably too inside baseball for most people to be interested in this conversation, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My first sponsor was a uh, nug of knowledge, which is <laughs> Dan Berman's, uh, weed company. Oh, nice. And so, so that one was at least, uh, you know, it was, it was a friend and it was a connection that I already had made, but I was just like, this is super cool. Uh, and that's one that does, uh, both depending on, you know, where your, uh, where your range is and viewership. So if you've got a new podcast awesome. and you're looking for a sponsor, reach out, uh, they're, yeah, they're a great company. Um, so how, how do you think you have improved as a, as a host over the last year and a half? For sure, just my comfortability. I mean, I remember the first time I had on, God, it was actually before Dave, I had on Pete and I had on some other guest, and I was like close to a panic attack. I was like, I can't believe I'm about to talk to these people. This is so intense because um, I just had never talked to these people that I idolized. It was just weird to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And now uh, because I've just done it so consistently for a year and a half, and, I, and for the past year, I've been talking to really big name people like I can't fucking believe that I just talked to Dave Rubin for over an hour. You know, like that's so weird to me. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just 
all these moments that I keep having that are totally surreal, but I've just become accustomed to. And I think, you know, you just get comfortable. You just get comfortable after a while. Um, and then also, I think that there's a, a sense of showmanship and understanding, you know, how to my inflection and how to how to lift up my energy at in certain points and to bring it down. And and it's like it was more I don't know. I think it was just there was more of kind of a, a concocted vibe in my early episodes, even though I was genuinely passionate. I may have been a little over the top, Alex Jonesy. And and you know now I I I can kind of take it easy and then have my my thirty second Alex Jones rant and then kind of go back to more calm version of me. So mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know. I, it's weird because I'm the guy doing it, so it's like it's hard. I'm sure people that have been listening for a long time could tell me like, oh no no no, you do this totally differently than you used to. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who is the who is the most like shit your pants moment guest? Uh, was it Dave? Well, I think either of the Daves, honestly, but for sure, the first time I was on part of the problem, I was like, mm. my pants are filled with shit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I I had to wake up. First off, it's it was East Coast time and I was still living in San Diego at the time. So he wanted to record at, I think it was 10 a.m. his time. So it was 7 a.m. West Coast time. And I I've been, you know an entrepreneur working for myself, not waking up early for a long time. So I had to be up at like six 45. I, you know, my eyes are all still red. My voice is deep as fuck. And I get on that show and, and I was just like, this is so intense. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was so intense. Cause I had just woken up. I only got like four hours of sleep. Cause I was so my, the anticipation, the anxiety. Cause I had, I've been listening to that show for five years. You know, you just get this sense of like, you know, gravi- gravity that probably isn't even real. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal, but to me it was. So um, yeah, that one was extremely intense. And then when I went on Timcast, that was another pants shit moment to, mm. I mean, I flew across the country, landed in DC, drove to wherever the fuck he lives. I'm not even supposed to talk about it. And then I get to this big ass mansion. I go upstairs, I sit there and I record live for two hours in front of a quarter million people over, over that, you know, the next month, uh, another hundred thousand view it, another million listen to it. I mean, that was fucking big. Like that one was not concocted pants shit big. That one was like, that's actually fucking a big, big deal. So, (laughs) Um, that was really intense. In the first hour, I kind of sit there quietly because I'm trying to get a feel for the vibe. And by the time the second hour rolls around, I'm like, oh, these people are not going to let me talk unless I go. So I just went off the second hour. So I hope people stay tuned and they didn't they didn't give up on me because the second hour, I just rip into the Federal Reserve for like probably 80% of the, the remainder of the show. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a tweet a couple weeks ago. Um I, I said something about like if you had told me at the beginning of the year that I would share as many guests as I do with Kennedy and Tim Pool, I would have asked you to pass whatever you were smoking because <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, I've had like I share at least like six guests with Kennedy and probably four or five now with Tim Pool. And I'm like just just people that some of them people that I would just consider friends. Uh, me too. Yeah. And it's like you get my friends are getting famous it's kind of weird it's kind of oh, cool it is so weird man i mm-hmm. i've had i've had i think seven people that have been on joe rogan like that is that's unfucking believable to me i've had countless people that have been on timcast including myself 
Um, and then, yeah, I see, I see people on TV, you know, and that's, yeah. I see people on TV, like every week I see someone on TV that has been on my show. Uh, it's, I don't understand it. It's very, it's very confusing and I love it. Yeah. I love it though. It's uh, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you've, you experienced that a lot more. I think uh, when, when Olivia Rondo went on Kennedy the first time, that was like one of the bigger ones where I was just oh, like, yeah. Hey, I, I know her. Yeah. She was, she was one of the first people that invited me onto their show. That was like significantly bigger than mine. And it was all because she watched probably the worst episode reading I have ever done. Just like the most horrific, like no one should ever watch that episode episode. And she was like, yeah, I want to interview those two knuckleheads. <laughs> Don't know yeah. why. I, I hung out with Olivia for a couple days at, at y'all uh, revolution in Orlando. So like mm-hmm. I know her, her really well now and, and she's been on my show and I've been on hers and it's just fucking bizarre to see her on TV regularly and to see her. I mean, she was on an HBO documentary. She's just mm-hmm. like blowing the world up and she's such a sweet person and she's so, so smart and so talented. And I'm just thrilled to see all of the success she's having. Um, I'm just thrilled to see our movement, you know, even with all of the suppression and the banning and and censorship and things like that, I'm just amazed and thrilled and heartened by the fact that I get to see so many people I really believe in mm-hmm. excelling in this new media sphere. Um, and it just gives me a, a lot of a lot of hope, a lot of gratefulness to be a part of it. And I don't know, it's just it's humbling. Yeah, you were t- speaking earlier to just kind of like the connectability of Twitter. And that's something that blew me away this year was, uh, you know, I owe I owe a lot of my success uh, to Twitter for sure. You know, just like all of uh, it for me. Yeah. Well, cause, so the the one reason why I say most and not all is because the rest of it I owe to Reed Coverdale, who I met not through Twitter. I actually he was a volunteer for me. Like we had we were just in person, like random acquaintances that became kind of sort of friends that became a little bit better friends. And then I started doing a show and then he started doing a show and then his show took the fuck off. And I was like, all right, you you go, bro. Like, all right. I know. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It reads reads helped me a lot too, and vice versa. I think that that uh, you know, I, I, it's weird because I really do feel like it's it's all all of our boats help raise the others, and mm-hmm. and if we're doing well, like that's why I love this this ecosphere because it seems to be far less cutthroat than most industries. Mm-hmm. It just seems like most of us genuinely like what we're doing, and we just genuinely like the people we're talking to, and I think it comes through. I think it comes through that like we are. We are happy when, like, when I see Olivia is going to be on Kennedy, I'm like smashing that retweet because I don't retweet very much. But if I see someone that I know really well that's doing something that I know will probably mean a lot to them, I want to support that. I want to get more eyeballs on it. I want, I want Kennedy and whatever production is having people like me on to to feel as if it's valuable to their business because that's the reason they're having us on is because we are the new wave. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's my opinion of it is that we are the new wave. We are the new ideological uh, realm that is pushing libertarianism in its new direction, whatever that may end up being ultimately. And, and all of these libertarian leaning um, productions have to, they have to consider us. They have to consider us when it comes to, to casting. And I just think that's, that's an amazing feat that like this generation is finally um, kind of making their own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. 
something that I didn't think I would see, uh, especially because you mentioned with all like the censorship and kind of the the silencing of the movement and of kind of differing opinions. You know, Fox News is not some bastion of freedom and free speech like some people think it is. Um, Fox Business isn't even some bastion of, of great media or free speech. Uh, but we are somehow still breaking through and and even into those mediums like I'm seeing people that I agree with ideologically on, you know, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, even these kinds of places, you know, Shane Hazel, I think, is a great example. He's getting a lot of mainstream media attention, um, uh, quite a few of our like gubernatorial candidates last year. And I, I think it can't help but do better next year. Uh, especially in those types of races, especially because a lot of those people are running again in similar races to just kind of feed off of the progress they already made. Um, it's weird. It's weird. I really thought that they were going to, tr- I thought that we were getting fought harder than this. And, <laughs> and, you know, you see like people like Reed and now Josh Smith and Scott, like you had, you had a tweet earlier today, just listing off like all of your friends that just got kicked off of Twitter yeah, uh, Josh and Picanones too, and mm-hmm. Fat Dave, and Fat Dave, Rip Fat Dave. <laughs> um, I think he made the alt account the fastest. <laughs> I think he just he, had that one ready to leaving. go. Yeah, no, he's never leaving. That dude, <laughs> that dude loves it, and he's never going to stop saying the n word. So you should just accept him for who he is. Twitter. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's true. The kid's a maniac. I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was cool to meet a lot of a lot of these people at uh, at Yalcon. Uh, finally, like getting to break down the like perso- the online personas into like actual uh, personalities and people. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I got to to finally meet you know most of my people, and then at Tom Woods 2000, I I met the rest basically, and and uh, at what was it? Um... Freedom Fest in South Dakota was kind of like the start of it. And I got to hang out with, um, you know, Dave Smith and Scott Horton. I've, I've hung out with Scott Horton, like, like probably a full week of my life over the past six months. Like I hung out with him for a day at Freedom Fest and I went to Austin and I spent hours with him on his boat and he took me to lunch. And, and then I see him again at, at, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he was at Yale Rev, but I saw him at, uh, mm-hmm. at Tom Woods for sure. And mm-hmm. we, we had this little like powwow until 4 a.m. where he's just like fielding questions from this onlooking crowd of of people where he's like he's telling everybody um, you know about his his worldview on on foreign relations and they're they're peppering him with questions and and I see it from a distance and he goes is that Liberty Lockdown get your ass over here man and I was like Scott Horton knows me like that you know like it's just weird you know I have Scott Horton's number like I idolize this guy and it's yeah. just. Uh, And I just love that everyone's so welcoming. You know, I just, I really think it's a beautiful thing that, you know, people, you, I don't know why I expected there to be like really severe ego issues with especially like the higher ups in this, uh, in this world, but everyone's been extremely welcoming uh, except for Michael Malice and Tom Woods. Fuck those guys. I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) They're just like the only ones that don't follow me. So I'm trying to, (laughs) I'm trying to nag them into following me. There you go. Yeah. Um, Scott Horton's definitely the most surreal friendship that I have sure. after this year. Um, he just came to the the state, the New York State convention, and yeah. I was like, uh, I just 
walked up to him Friday or actually our first interaction Friday night. I was like, saw him at the bar. So I went up towards him, but he was having a really in-depth conversation. Just the way that the bar was situated, I couldn't quite get up to him. And then someone else recognized me. And so we were talking and all of a sudden he just breaks away from his conversation. It's just like, who wants to go get high? All right, let's go. <laughs> just like four of us just exit the hotel together to go smoke some weed. That's how literally every libertarian event ends is with Scott Horton saying, who wants to go get high? Hey. <laughs> See, I told you. These are my friends are making the Fred right. so you know, You know my enemies are going hard with it. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, and then uh, it was funny. We sat down and, and he he actually Saturday morning at the convention, the first he was the first person I talked to. I got there and I looked out the window and he was already outside smoking weed. And I was like, all right, it's like 10 a.m. He's about to go on stage. I'm going to go get high with Scott Horton. And he just launched into this like five minute monologue about uh fractionalization and sectarians and how fucking retarded the fight in fighting in the libertarian party is and just went the fuck off and i was like and people people literally just started like gathering around as he was just like outside in the freezing cold just like these fucking idiots just keep fucking fighting. it was beautiful it was truly the coolest thing, the coolest thing about scott is that his energy is so organic like mm -hmm. That there's nothing performative about him he is this passionate he is this on 24 7 like i feel like that dude will have a two-hour knockdown drag out debate with some stranger on the subway you know like he's just that guy all the fucking time mm -hmm. um, i'm not really that guy you know like if i'm on a <laughs> if i'm on a subway and some idiot looks over to me and goes like i have like a ron paul shirt on they're like fuck ron paul i'm like I might be like, Ron Paul's the best. Please take a step back. But I'm not going to have a debate with a stranger on the subway. Scott Horton right. would be like, oh, let's talk about the war, the second, third, and fourth wars in Iraq. How about we talk about that? You know, he's just a maniac. Uh, it really is. Uh, yeah. His energy is so, uh, like, toxic and just invading. <laughs> uh, toxic in a good way. I, that's I like not it, quite yeah. the right word. Um, <laughs> but... You know, I walked away from that just like, yeah, this fighting is bullshit. Like, just like fired up to go unify some shit. And there wasn't even anything to unify in that moment. I wanted to go find two people that were fighting and make them stop fighting just because Scott Horton made me want to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, Scott, I mean, Scott's got a good. It's funny because he's he's got this energy of like, fuck you. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to correct you. But then he's like all about unity and stuff. And it's like normally if you're a, a unity person, you got to be a little bit less domineering personality wise, but I think he's right. Tactically, it does make sense for us to, to see our, our similarities more than our differences, especially if we mm -hmm. expect to advance this cause. Um, but at the same time, I think that our differences are important and they should be hashed out, but preferably in a respectful manner if we can. Um, and I try and return respectful fire to anyone who sh shoots a respectful shot. And, and I just think that's kind of, you know, that's how I handle it now. I used to be much more contentious because I was trying to like make my name in this movement. I was trying to stand out and I'd be uh, much more fiery and try and like ruin people's careers and shit. But I'm not really doing that anymore. I, I try to be nice about it. Um, so I think I hope that uh, I'm I'm taking the steps that Scott would have, you know, support. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen you take anything that I 
think he wouldn't. Um, I I do think that the podcasting, although we have way too many podcasts in the Liberty movement, like it's, it's a meme at this point, but it's very (laughs) true. Uh, It is helpful for, for what you're talking about for the like respectful kind of conversations. You know, I think a lot of things that if we didn't have as many podcasts, uh, you know, would have it would have happened on Twitter instead, just exclusively. Yeah. And Twitter's yeah. just a dumpster fire and a shit show, and never a good place to have these conversations. So, you know, the all of these different podcasts, everyone's trying to come up in the podcasting world. So there's a lot of people who will just you know take advantage of a debate that's going on on Twitter, be like, hey, you guys want to settle this on my podcast? And it's so much better of a way to do it. Yeah, um, I agree, and I perfect example. I was going, even though I respect the hell out of Drew Hancock and and Ace Arcus, I still was going, you know, pretty aggro at them because I'm very concerned about libertarians allowing fascism to take hold by basically tacitly supporting the private businesses that become the enforcement arm of these totalitarian dictates that the Biden administration is pushing in the form of vaccine mandates. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's my thesis. And and yet Ace and Drew are like taking the very principled, it's private property, you, you know, it's not aggression. Like I, and I'm like, okay, I get all these arguments, but at the same time, um, you know, I don't think that tactically this makes sense and, and we're, we're fighting online and I just go, Hey, how about this? How about I have both of you on? You're like the two that I respect the most that are taking this stance, even though I totally hate the stance you're taking. Let's 90 minutes. Let's hash it out on my show. And seven or 8,000 people have, already watched or listened to that episode. And I think that that was a really valuable thing because it, I got to show my passion for why I think it's such a major problem that libertarians probably ought to be violating property rights in the forms of sit-ins at a minimum to try and uh, alleviate this issue. Mm-hmm. And, and they get to make the private property argument as to, you know, if we lose that principle, then what, what ground do we have to stand on to say that uh, we own our body? Cause we've already basically given up that right of, of, honoring property rights in this country. And I think that it was a really important thing. And I think at the end of it, all three of us kind of, um, we understood each other better. We, we, uh, appreciate each other's stances a little bit more and it takes some of the vitriol and venom out of the entire movement over this singular topic because other people got to see the passion mm-hmm. and the intelligence and everything that's on both sides of this conversation. It's not like one side is stupid or being you know childish about this. It's like, no, they just, they have a different perspective. So I think it humanizes. So I totally agree with you that, yeah, having some of these more contentious arguments on a show is important. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to convince uh, one of one of my friends has challenged one of my other friends to a debate and uh, uh, like asked me to moderate slash host it. And the 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 other friend is very much hesitant to do it. And I've been trying to convince her that like if both of you go into this conversation with the with the mindset that you can leave with a slightly different perspective and different opinion than you went into it. Uh, everyone watching will leave with a slightly different perspective than they came into it. And, you know, even if they came in hating you with a burning passion and leave hating you with a benign passion, like that's, (laughs) that's some improvement. Like you can, you can make that happen and vice versa and, uh, kind of give, give some light and a you know a better better place for this conversation and so i i hear a lot like oh i'm not very good at speaking i'm better when i get to like write things out and that's part of the problem on twitter it's like perfectly crafted like uh 
but still horribly crafted because it's 280 <laughs> characters or it's exactly. a thread and then you're just the asshole that's posting threads in the middle of a debate uh which is well, never well, cool sometimes sometimes when you don't have the opportunity for elaboration in order to make your point as powerful as possible you have to make it pointed you have to make mm -hmm. it vicious um i think that's part of the reason that social media by its very nature is very toxic is that you're condensing down what you might be able to make in a longer form a very beautiful eloquent compelling argument you burn it down to like you suck cock you know like <laughs> you just like you just boil it all the way down and then you just make a really shitty thing to say to somebody because you want to embarrass them and convince them that they're wrong um so yeah i <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that's why I refuse to have I refuse to have any kind of tough conversations like that through text either, like right. in a in a friendship or a relationship or anything like that. Fucking call me. You want to fight? <laughs> call real. me. You have my number. Uh, anyone that's friends with me on Facebook, you can like Facebook Messenger audio call me. Just fucking call me. You want to argue? <laughs> Let's FaceTime. Exactly. Uh, and that's one way. of the. That's one of the things like he's annoying. I haven't blocked. Um, I'm sure he's got you blocked by now. Uh, but I will always give credit to Archie Flowers because he he we will get into it on Twitter and he will DM me a Zoom link <laughs> and be that? like, all right, let's let's fucking talk this out. And oh, no and way. It, yeah, I would love that. God, I would love that. Uh, he's done it to me, I think, at least three times. Um, and I'm like, all right, yeah. One time we we were on the Zoom for like fucking three hours because neither of us had anything fucking better to do. So we hashed out the argument and I just kept shooting the shit. It was great. You still think he's annoying as shit. Still haven't blocked on Twitter. But uh, but we don't have any beef necessarily because, you know, he, he was always quick to throw out that Zoom link. And I'm, I, I well, always respect I, that. I actually like that idea. Um I have to admit, I I reblocked Archie today because he hopped into a thread for no reason at all. He says, I agree with everything you said, because I was saying, like, we have to get away from Trump. You should vote for Dave. And I list because Trump is going to blame inflation on Biden and this on the Fed and this on the Democratic Congress. And I like it's a pretty good argument. Archie comments and he goes, I agree with all of that right up until you endorse Dave. And it's like, yeah, Archie, we know. Like we know you hate Dave Smith and we know that you're not going to like that endorsement. And I had just unblocked him when I unblocked everybody a month ago and I wasn't going to block him again. But then Dave, Dave responds and he goes, uh, what am I going to do without the flarchy endorsement? You know, <laughs> being kind of shitty. And then, uh, <laughs> Archie responds with, Oh, someone says, Oh, he says something like, Oh, just continue to say your homophobic bullshit. And I was like, first off, I don't think Dave's homophobic. I think he just has a sense of humor that, you know, he, he's going to make fun of everybody. But regardless, how could Dave be gay and homophobic at the same time? Good question. <laughs> uh, how could he sleep with Louis J. Gomez constantly and be a homophobe? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> so so then Archie for his someone asked for evidence and Archie responds with a meme, a, a meme from Jose Galison, where it's like it's such a stupid fucking meme. But in it, he quotes Dave at some like out of context thing. And then he has two other things that are totally hilarious, but that's not the point. The point is Archie's evidence that Dave is a homophobe is a meme from Jose Galison. And I'm just like, you're unbearable. I have to block you again. Damn it. See, I'm glad I I've kind of, 
there's one good thing about me losing like 250 followers in 48 hours when like the entire Mises caucus decided I was a fakertarian. Um, I don't even see that shit that much anymore because like I have fakertarians and Archie and most of them blocked and then uh, most of the toxic people on the other side have me blocked and it's my perfect. Twitter's quiet and peaceful. <laughs> you're, dude, you're in the sweet spot. Don't mess with anything. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. It's it is it will always be hilarious to me that like I got I got burned for being one of my most hated like the people that hate me. I think the people that in the Fakertarians group hate me more than anybody that called me a Fakertarian. <laughs> but <laughs> but here we are. So fuck well, it. You sound there. you sound like uh like Magnus Penvidia. He's he's kind of in that sweet spot of where everyone hates mm -hmm. him. <laughs> too, somehow. Yep. I I think I'm like one of the only people that loves you both. So, whatever. <laughs> you got you got my endorsement. So that's all I meant. He's another one that it's weird because I met him in person before he got famous. Yeah, I know. You told me about that too. Uh, that so yeah, Reed Reed and Magnus were both like way before any of this shit happened, and now we're like maybe like there was there was a conversation where the three of us were possibly going to go on part of the problem together and i was like this isn't real life this is <laughs> this is not the timeline that we live in this can't be real that's pretty bizarre yeah i and, mean and i and i met both of them in person and and my online friendship you know quickly became a real life one i think they're both amazing people and it's just mm -hmm. it's it's really I think that's probably the weirdest thing about Twitter is like because you spend so much time seeing how people think when you meet them in person for whatever reason there's like this it's I think it's like the best dating app of all time unfortunately most of the people in the libertarian community are dudes and I don't want to sleep with them but <laughs> if I did my god what a dating app it would be it I mean I've definitely had some success with that that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> good I'm glad <laughs> yeah it really is the best dating app out there for sure uh clubhouse is another good one because you're just kind of like hanging out with people for like hours and hours throughout time and it's like you know you you can't help but actually like get to know people and start forming better connections when you spend that much time even podcasts especially if you have each other on like back oh, and yeah. forth a lot that kind of stuff it's really easy to build friendships through this kind of stuff and then yeah some festival or convention happens and everyone's hanging out and it's right. like your old friends it's i know it's, awesome. it's it's really weird like you'll meet for the first time but it will still feel as if you're hanging out with a longtime friend it's very it's very strange um I don't know how to describe it. Dave Dave said that he was nervous to meet me. <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. Uh, like he, he was like, he was like, I just feel like I know you so well, but I've never met you before. And this is just so strange. And I was like, I know I feel the same way. Uh, but I've been listening to you for 10 times longer than you've been listening <laughs> to me. So it's just uh it's a it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon, but I'm very grateful for it. I've had I've had life-changing experiences because of Twitter. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the the most uh, crazy person that I met through Twitter and was able to like connect with was uh, Mark Pellegrino, who played Lucifer in Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, and that actually fairly similar situation to to your part of the problem story, because that was a 10 a.m. interview. Luckily, it was 10 a.m. Eastern and I live on the East Coast. But still, I like woke up maybe 10 minutes before we started that live stream he was already backstage like i woke up two texts from him like oh, i was like oh fuck all right 
throw some coffee on, run back upstairs, start streaming. I'm like still waking up and I'm like shitting my pants because like I <laughs> Supernatural used to be one of my favorite shows. Like I've loved right. this guy and his acting for almost a decade at this point. And it's like I wait I waited until the end and after we stopped recording, I was like, all right, dude, I gotta let you know I've been holding in my fangirling this entire time. I've been such a huge fan of yours for so fucking long. <laughs> like this is insane. Yeah. I love it. I love those moments. And uh, what I do now when I have on like really big guests, like when I had on Dave Rubin for me, that was, that felt massive. And, mm -hmm. and I, I just had to remind myself, I was like, you've talked to over a million people at a single time. Like, just remember that with Dave Rubin, you're only going to talk to 10,000. This is nothing. It's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I just try and put that in perspective. Like if I can make it through speaking to a million people at once, live unedited i can do anything you know uh, until i get to a threshold that's higher than that in which case i'll probably shit my pants again like if i if rogan ever invites me on i'm definitely definitely gonna have a panic attack but other than that good thing um, he'll get you high yeah well no unfortunately weed makes my anxiety go crazy so i can't oh, do that okay never mind then <laughs> uh, actually funny as you uh that I feel I feel for you, man. Uh, <laughs> funny full circle conversation. I actually made the connect with Mark Pellegrino because we were fighting together in a Twitter war defending Magnus. But it go. was really hilarious because the the fight was because um, I think he was uh, somebody somebody was having Magnus on their show. I don't even remember who it was. Um, and everyone was all up in arms that that this person was platforming uh, a Nazi because, you know, that's what boog boys are. And so I was defending Magnus as not a Nazi. Right. Pellegrino was defending their right to platform Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I side with both of you. He's right. not a Nazi, and I'm okay with them platforming Nazi. I don't care. Right. It was hilarious because, and I didn't even really notice how the conversation had shifted until it was a little too late. And I realized that I was also kind of arguing for the platforming of Nazis instead of just arguing for my friend. And I realized that Mark had no idea what the fuck he was talking about, had never heard of the Boogaloo, like no clue what conversation he was stepping into. He was just stepping in. <laughs> as a as a principled um like free speech advocate free speech advocate yeah right. and like no if he's a nazi he should fucking be able to go on whatever show he wants and so he followed me off of that argument and i That's i had hilarious. him on quickly after but uh yeah i found that fucking hilarious because it took me probably a good 20 minutes i know remember i was grocery shopping at the time so i was a little bit distracted and i realized i was like he doesn't know what he's saying and he's actually just advocating for Nazis, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm good either way, but I, Matt, the, the thing for me is like, it's so weird now. And I think it's like a, a deepest, darkest level of the red pill is to actually get to know someone and know what a sweetheart Magnus is. Mm. And then to see things written about him. And you're just like, wow, like, wow, this is, this is dark. You know, you, you already have a really negative opinion about the media and the press and things like that. But when you see them demonize someone who's like, yeah, Magnus is a radical. Like, I'm not going to deny that, but yeah. he is like as sweet and as loving of a radical as you can imagine. So it's mm -hmm. just, it's bizarre to have, instead of just attacking him on his ideas and his actual belief system, they never will. They never, ever will. And it's, I don't know. It radicalized me for sure.
Yeah. Uh, how do you think that the like alternative media podcast, uh, like news journalism kind of stuff, like what you and I do and others, uh, do you think that we'll be able to ever fully counterbalance that level of propaganda that's coming out against us? Uh, I do because I think we're going to have completely bifurcated ecosystems, um, mm. kind of a you know along the same lines of a civil war, but on a media front. Like you're going to have the independent media that is on Rumble or Locals or YouTube to some extent, but probably not for long, and then all these other platforms versus corporate news and uh, streaming HBO, you know real time with bill maher and all this other quasi independent thought that's also very fucking trash uh so quasi independent thought i like that (laughs) (laughs) that's how that's how i would describe it because he 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 knows where his bread's buttered and he still has to uh, pander to the devil um working for hbo and i think bill maher is much more of a libertarian leaning person than than he gives you know puts on for his, his audience. Cause they're such sycophantic totalitarian leaning monsters. But um, anyways, I didn't mean to get sidetracked. So yes, the answer, the answer is yes. I think that uh, independent media has a real opportunity, uh, especially with, um, you know, cryptography and, and blockchain, like 10 years from now, it's going to be so dramatically different. Like I can't even imagine. The only question is, does civilization collapse in the meantime? And I'm not at all sure that it doesn't. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm a bit, yeah. I'm a real optimist, man. Right. I I keep going back and forth on that one, man. I, I, cause, cause you keep like building up your life, right? Like you have to like make plans and save money and live yeah. like an adult, but also <laughs> like, what if it all goes away? Oh man. Like, why am I saving dollars? Like, at this point, I, I am saving a little bit of crypto, but not very much. And well, because I'm not saving much at all. That's what True. happens when you work volunteer work full time for like two years. Of course. But, um, but yeah, I, I keep going back and forth on the like, is society going to collapse and is what I'm doing worth it? Even within what I do for the liberty movement, like, uh, helping like county organizations in the libertarian party lay their groundwork and get up and running and run like a single uh county board position uh is that gonna be fucking worth it if in three years the entirety of the united states government is just collapsed dc gets bombed everything goes to shit well this is exactly why i am such a huge supporter of dave smith and because this is why I do what I do with my show is because I think that the war is an information one. I don't mm-hmm. think that it has really any hope of political salvation. Now, that's not to say that there isn't value in doing what you're doing. I think that if I'm wrong and that we do have 15 years before everything falls apart, then there's a high probability that that your efforts will pay, you know, fruit. Like we will get mm-hmm. some rewards from it. Um, so I don't I don't try and discourage anybody from using the LP or, or or working locally. I think local politics is the only politics that I'm really interested in. And then on the national level, I'm very interested in just having fiery, crazy messengers that are going to fucking wake up more mm-hmm. people um, and, and, you know, pray that that's enough that we can get one state to break off and be our, our salvation. That's that's really how I think things play out. But if I'm wrong, 
and we have more time and we can have kind of enlightenment, which is not impossible. I mean, you have so many people realizing that they've been lied to about the V and about, you know, what will classify you as being a, an acceptable citizen to live a normal life. And then, oh, you got two. Well, now you need three. Oh, you got three. Now you need four. And it's like a lot of those people are going to be radicalized. And mm -hmm. that's it's our job and our opportunity of a lifetime to take those people and show them the light because yep. you don't get many opportunities where people are like, holy shit, I have been lied to egregiously by these people. I trusted implicitly and I never will again. Who am I to turn to? And Donald Trump comes back around and then that's where they go. Or do we get them to consider actual liberty and actual freedom? And I hope, I hope that they do the latter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I justify a lot of what I do on the basis of like, if, if everything goes to shit, uh, having like a bunch of libertarian mayors is the best chance that we have for it not going completely to shit and like everybody dying. Um, if we're already you'll, like, you'll get a kick out of this, but that's the Mises GOP's path. I mean, that's what the, mm -hmm. that's what they believe in. So, yeah, I, I've read, a, I've read a little bit of their stuff and I don't hate it as much as I wanted to hate it. <laughs> not gonna lie. Um, but then they, but, they also want those mayors to like not let trans people in. <laughs> right. Which is when I start to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not making that explicit, but that's kind of the vibe I get. Like they don't really want uh counterculture accepted in those, in those jurisdictions. And, and unfortunately I'm not as much of a social conservative as, as many of those guys are, as the Hoppians are like, I don't understand mm -hmm. it. I think you can be a very good person and not be some like married guy with five kids. Like, I don't think you have to be that and you don't have to be a Christian and heterosexual. Like I think you can be a good person and not be these stereotypical Christian conservative things. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's sad to me that they are so convinced that the downfall of society is a product of accepting of countercultural movements. And I don't think that's what it is. I think that the countercultural movements have been, um, abdicated or, or, or usurped by um you know shitty neolib scumbags more than anything so <laughs> couldn't agree with you more there what do you think about this uh the, like the rise of the post-libertarian idea well that i mean that's what mises gop is more or less is like mm -hmm. those those two go True. hand in hand um i mean I love I love the creativity of it. I, I'm glad that they had the knockdown drag out fight between Pete Andrew, uh, Popular Liberty and Dave Smith to like let them really hash it out. And I think that Dave made most of the arguments that I would have made. So I was grateful to to see that and basically just saying, look, we don't all have to be in lockstep on this. I think that you guys thinking outside of the box or at least, you know, repackaging some older ideas through Hop and other things. Um, is valuable. I think that it's important that because we haven't succeeded, we should be considering all paths. Like that makes perfect sense to me. But at the same time, don't come up with this new idea and then turn around and just say, everyone doing anything other than what I'm doing is an absolute idiot or an enemy. Like that is so, so bad mm -hmm. um, because you don't know. I mean, I hope you're right. And I hope that your path is successful. But unless you are a hundred percent certain, we have way too much at risk for you to be in, be like, anybody that won't go along with me on this path is, is an enemy of mine. Like, I just think that's crazy. And, and granted, they didn't say that very often, but that was definitely the, the energy of some of their messaging early on. And I think that they were trying to be a firebrand to get attention and it got them attention. So like maybe mission accomplished, I don't fucking know. But like, when you do that, 
it also has a downside. And I think that they realize that. I think that, you know, cooler heads are coming to the table now. And I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But uh, I like a lot of those guys. I think that they're they're interesting people. They're intelligent people. And I'm not I have no interest in, you know, excommunicating people for thinking a little bit outside the box. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And that was one of the the key mindsets when we when we were doing the liberty unity thing towards the beginning of the year was just the we have way too much ground to gain to be attacking other people's ideas exactly. and like exactly. back then it, it looked like it was almost obvious that it would be like a justin amash spike cohen dave smith primary uh right. in the libertarian party with probably a couple of other random people that had no chance and there were so many people that were already starting to draw lines in that fight for any of them announced. This was even before Dave announced right. uh, before Dave was even seriously considering it. Cause you know, him and I had a conversation about that where he was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking run for president. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. Uh, I've actually talked to all three of them about it. None of them wanted to run, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think they have a choice, but people were drawing lines there and like, Oh, Spike Cohen is uh, you know, he, he did that nipple thing and you know, he talks to, Oh, the, you know, so many people hate him because he talks to Black Lives Matter and he he sides with the Marxists and, yeah. uh, you know, and we, you know, we can't talk to we can't have Dave Smith because he's he's a racist and, uh, and a Holocaust denying <laughs> anti-Semitic Jew. Um, and you he know, denies where his grandfather died. Very, <laughs> right. Very weird flex. Very weird. Um, and you know we can't have Justin Amash because he's milk toast and and boring and blue pilled and uh, and he's the only one I agree with. <laughs> no disrespect to him. <laughs> I do think he's too blue pilled for us. But anyways, I'll I'll, I'll leave him alone. I think he's too blue pilled to accomplish the objective that you want accomplished in the twenty four exactly. race. And exactly. I fully respect that perspective. I I would. Uh, I have similar objectives and therefore don't necessarily support his candidacy full throated yet. Uh, if he were to be the nominee, I would obviously support him uh, wholeheartedly. I still really respect him. I think that him running is a, I think he's still a really solid candidate for other people's objectives, uh, which are still valid. Um, I, but you know, know, I tend to you, agree I'll more with you. you. The, the, uh, the way in which I do love him. I think that if if we could get a libertarian president, he would probably get more accomplished because he knows the ins and outs and he is also more of a moderate. So he mm -hmm. could probably get support from both sides to get shit done. Mm -hmm. We don't have a chance of winning. So I just mm -hmm. want people to fucking say crazy stuff. And Justin Amage ain't that guy. So like he's smart. He's uh he's a principled dude. I like I'm not I'm not really shitting on him. I'm just saying, like you said, for my purpose, he's the worst candidate because he's like he is he is respectable. You know, maybe he'll get a couple extra percent of the vote and the Libertarian Party will get to feel good about itself and pat, it, pat itself on the back. Well, dystopia descends upon us. And it's like mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't do me any good. I need I need Dave Smith to get like five percent more of the American people to realize that everything they know is a lie. Like, that's what I want. So I don't know. I, yeah. I have a very I have a very like clear vision for what I want, but I completely understand for those that think like, oh, no, we have 20 years left and we might be able to get a libertarian president before, you know, everything falls apart. I'm just like, I totally disagree, but I may, maybe I hope you're right. Yeah, I, and I, I think I'm very much with you on that one. Uh, I, I don't think we have 20 years left. Uh, I think 
And it's funny you said you said exactly the number of five percent because that's the number that everyone talks about. It's like if we can get five percent, then we get the national ballot access, we get the federal funding, we become a legitimate party and can actually maybe like create big waves in the following few just few years if we can break five percent. And that's why a lot of people wanted a more like Gary Johnson-esque person because we seem to be trending in the right direction there. Um, <laughs> I have I have a lot of nice things and a lot of not so nice things to say about Gary Johnson. <laughs> I uh, actually, I, Reed and I were talking about this on the phone yesterday. Uh, I very much like if I could go back in time to 2016, would definitely still vote Gary Johnson. Uh, I think that he he did he did stuff like like you can't take away what he did and he did get the most uh like the highest voting percentage that we've ever gotten Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people think that uh you know amash is our best chance of breaking five percent i personally think that amash cohen and smith can all break five percent if we do it right like i think all all three of those should be able to break five percent that shouldn't even really be that difficult well and and just for the record when i said five percent i was not talking about voting i'm saying Mm -hmm. i want I want five people's five percent of the American people's hearts touched that haven't already been. You know, like that's what mm-hmm. I want. I want them to have their Ron Paul moment. Whether or not they they turn out and vote for Dave, I don't really give a shit because I don't think we have enough time. But an off chance that we do, then yeah, I think any of those three guys could probably get us five percent. We could probably become a legit legitimate party. And fifteen years from now, ten years from now, who knows? You know, it's like it could it could be a real viable option. I think that we'll see economic collapse before Biden's out. So like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think that we have that much time, um, but I've been wrong before. And if they continue to stimulate the hell out of the economy and, and find, you know, some miracle path where they don't end up in hyperinflation, um, then maybe we have more time than I'm, I'm estimating. But yeah. at this point, I'm just most interested in having people like shake into their core and like capitalizing on this opportunity where everyone is feeling disenchanted and, and feeling lied to. And if you have a guy like Amash, I don't think he's going to speak to them in a way that that compels them to really take that energy and funnel it into like learning this entirely new ideology. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. Reed and I used to fight a lot. And I've, I've argued with a lot of people about this because, like I mentioned, people were drawing these lines a while ago. Um, I'm very glad to see the come up of Spike Cohen uh even after the campaign because it's uh, it's allowed me to not have to backtrack on my opinions of dave smith while still not having to support justin homage <laughs> for the record too i i love spike i met him in person he's been on my show i think he's a brilliant messenger very principled very passionate um obviously i disagree with some of his messaging when he prefaces it and it it sounds like he's just trying to appeal to the left but i'm sure you feel the same way about dave smith and he's trying to appeal to the right so like i think either of those guys like those are the type of messages i like though because like spike is not afraid to say something that sounds exactly like alex jones from time to time and that's what i want to hear yeah oh my god he's also he's also objectively and or at least subjectively in my opinion the weirdest fucking person i have ever met in my entire 
life. And I've been a libertarian for six years. I've met a lot of fucking weirdos. I've met Roman Supreme. I think Spike Cohen is weirder. You got to explain this to me. I thought Spike, I thought Spike was such a nice guy. I mean, he's like I mean this with no offense in any way, shape, or form. I fucking love it. But he is the most just like a unapologetically himself person. I've ever gotten the pleasure to meet and become friends with and you know just some of the shit he says um he is now officially like my my last name has been officially changed to uh Feitenschmitz because he had to give me like a Jewish last name and uh he he literally introduced himself to the the clerk at the escape room that we went to in Ohio for a fundraiser uh, he introduced himself as as Mr. Feichensmith and my, and me as his son, da- David Feichensmith. And you know, this went is crazy because he uh, Olivia also pretends like she's the, his daughter because he's got this beautiful black wife, and it mm-hmm. looks like Olivia could totally be his daughter. It's hilarious. Um, so you and Olivia are now siblings, which siblings. is totally bizarre. Yeah, and also dope. I would love to have a sister like Olivia. Yeah, good point. I'm down. You guys are probably uh, close in age. It could it, like this all actually could be true. Yeah, we're we're just gonna roll with it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he's just he's just out there. And the reason I say that he's weirder than Vermin is because Vermin plays up his weirdness, and right. then like when you get to know him, he's actually like a little bit more normal. Where Spike <laughs> doesn't doesn't do that he's just and he also is sober so it's not like it's not like me or some of my other friends who are like stoned and crazy and weird like he's stone cold sober and still like he went on a 10 minute like long form story joke uh at the at the new york state convention this past weekend where the punchline included both uh like a cops are pigs joke as well as a bestiality joke yes i like it and so it started off with him just telling like me and two of my friends this joke, but like a crowd amassed. And then we actually had to move out of the room we were in and we were standing in the hallway and this crowd turned into like a, probably about a dozen people, which included Scott Horton oh. and, and Spike gets to the punchline and Scott's head just kind of drops. He pats Spike on the shoulder and just walks the fuck <laughs> away. That's and awesome. I was just like, and he doesn't need alcohol or drugs to be like that. He's just a fucking weirdo, and I love it. He's he's got a bottomless pit of energy. I mean, that dude mm. is he is like Energizer Bunny. He travels the world, or travels the U.S. at least constantly, just pushing the message. And and he's a really great messenger. Um, I just think I think the world of him, and and he's he's brilliant. He's great. He's passionate. He's eloquent. Um, he's got the look for it. Like he doesn't have the height, but no one knows that, so it's okay. <laughs> I gotta take one dig. I'm being too nice to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, he's balding. Hey, I can't talk shit about that. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. So before we wrap up, uh, I want to give you a chance to shout out uh, your show, how people can find it, how people can watch it, maybe uh, suggest a couple of best episodes for people to start out with. Sure. Um, at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, Liberty Lockdown, you can search on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, if you want the video format. Um, obviously, I'm Odyssey, Odyssey as well. Uh, I have a Locals page. If you want to support my show, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com and become a supporting member. I do some um, special exclusive content over there. Got a microwave going off in the background because I'm super professional. And 
and yeah, that's that's where the show's at in terms of episodes. Um, to start off with, any of the episodes with Dave are great. Uh, my episode with Maj Teray was one of my favorites. Hmm. Um, my episode with Adam Curry recently was really good. My episode with Zuby was really good. I mean, honestly, like any of, any of the guests that you think would be good are. So just go check those out. Um, those are some of my favorites. And yeah, that's about it, man. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. It was a blast as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Great to great to finally make this happen. Uh, the tech the tech gods didn't shit on us too hard. A couple <laughs> of glitches, but we're good. <laughs> the latency was terrible early on, and now it's like clean. So this is great. Yeah. Um. Thank you. I'm just gonna. Uh, guys, thanks so much for watching. Um, as always, if you haven't done so already, click the like button, click the share button, click the subscribe button. Go click all the links in the description, both to Clint's channel so that you can subscribe and follow and do all those things over there. Then go donate to Tom Queter's campaign for New York State Senate and then go buy some weed from Nug of Knowledge and then come back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. because we're going to be talking to Joel Getz, who ran for mayor of East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was unfortunately not one of the wins in Pennsylvania, but we're going to talk about the over 120 wins that they did have, as well as what he did differently in his campaign. So come on back tomorrow night for that. Uh, until then, keep oh. up the fight. Oh, one, one more comment. I have Jake Shields, who's a five-time MMA champ, former UFC champ that's on oh, my show on Monday. Shit. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. So I just wanted to drop a plug for that. Make sure people check that out. Oh, yeah. I will have to be checking that one out as well. Uh, yeah, you said that's dropping cool. Monday? Yep, Monday night. Okay. Well, Clint, thanks so much for coming on. This was great. You're the man, brother. Thank you again. Yeah. Guys, have a good one. Keep on the fight.